Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Today we continue our conversation with Pastor James Knox on the topic of sowing the seed of the Word of God. In the first part of this conversation, we concentrated on local outreach and public ministry, mainly the biblical responsibility of the task and how we should think about the expectations of its effects and fruitfulness. It's important to recognize that faithfulness to the Great Commission is not limited to involvement in foreign missions, but includes local outreach in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. As we said previously, this is a both-and, not an either-or proposition. With that said, when believers are zealously engaged in getting the gospel out locally, that tends to progress naturally to the regions beyond. What starts in Jerusalem spills into the broader region of Judea, and this is naturally exported to Samaria, and eventually it works its way to the uttermost part of the earth. Paul said of the first century church at Thessalonica that from them sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, and so it should be. In today's conversation, we look at how one church's local efforts in sowing the seed reached far beyond their Jerusalem, and Brother James relates some of the ways in which God has provided for their outreach efforts at home and abroad. With that introduction, here's the conclusion to my conversation with Pastor James Knox on sowing the seed. In addition to your heavy involvement locally, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you've sent out a great deal of printed and recorded material around the world. And I actually became acquainted with your ministry, Brother James, back in 2007 or around then through the audio cassettes that the church was producing at the time. That's uh, boy, that's that that's a long time ago, isn't it? Audio way back. Cassettes, way right. back. And then in in 2016, I don't think I've ever told you this. In 2016, I was in a secondhand shop in downtown Harare, Zimbabwe, when I came across a copy of a sure foundation in sub-Sahara Africa. How about that? That's a, that's a wild thing, isn't it? So your material really has gone around the world and getting those materials to the third world in particular has been a zealous effort of yours over the years. So how did you get started? Speaking of sowing the seed, it's not just a local effort. How did you get started sending the audio cassettes to different places? Okay. It's, it's twofold. And it's really interesting to, to, to me. I think it will be to others. In 1980, let's see, we started the church in 87. So 1986, my wife and I surrendered to go to Ghana, West Africa as missionaries. Uh, we turned our house over to uh, my brother-in-law, uh, who's a preacher, and I put in my, my papers at work where I was employed. And Ghana at that time was wide open, uh, relations between the United States and Ghana, no problem. After we had prayed about that and told the church we were attending that we were going to uh, be missionaries in Ghana, I got a letter unsolicited that came to that church it was from Garden City College in the capital city of Ghana asking if someone would come there and take a staff position teaching religion and theology at that university. 
I mean, brother, you, you talk about a wide open door, a wide open door. So, so we put everything in order, sent in our paperwork, and the State Department of the U.S. denied us a visa to enter Ghana. They wouldn't let us go to Ghana. It, it was unprecedented. It was unheard of. And my wife was pregnant at the time with our first child, and my parents would never admit it publicly, but it is probably <laughs> their prayers that got that visa application denied. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want their, their grandchildren to be that far away. At least that's what I've told them ever since then. So uh, we were really uh, heartbroken that we couldn't uh, get into that country. So uh, two years later, we had started the church. Like I said, there were 10 of us, and all the money we had was going to pay in rent, and we were, were getting ready to take on our first missionary. But we thought, why don't we record our sermons and our Bible studies and send them to a few missionaries that we know and where they can have some, some ministry? Uh, people won't believe this, but in the days before the Internet— you had to pay for preaching. Cassette tapes, were, yeah, cassette tapes were maybe $2 a piece for a sermon. And I remember getting catalogs from different preachers and ordering, ordering their, uh, their sermons, and, and you could order copies of um, uh, Brother Green or Brother Roloff and those men, their radio programs for a, a gift of a dollar or $2 or something like that, which, you know, uh, you, you go back to the 1980s, that's a good chunk of money. Anyway, anyway, so we thought a missionary can't afford to buy 10 sermons a month to listen to, and they can't go on the internet. I mean, people have no idea what they've got today. You can listen to a thousand sermons a week for free from anybody, dead or alive. It's incredible. It wasn't that way. If you wanted to hear somebody besides your pastor preach, you had to order it, uh, pay for it. Here it comes in the mail. Anyway, so we thought, let's just send these out. to. We knew four or five missionaries, and let's send them these cassettes. Well, they told their friends, you can get free sermons from this address. They told their friends, you can get free sermons from this address. Brother, by the early 1990s, we were sending out tens of thousands of cassettes every single month all, all over the world by word of mouth for free. We weren't charging for them, and God was providing that money. And, and so uh, it, it went from there. We would have these, these Sunday afternoon activities between church services where uh, we'd set up these big tables, and people duplicate tapes— Put a put a, a, a label on the cassette, slide it down. Somebody'd stack the cassettes, put them in a box, slide it down. Somebody'd put a New Testament in the box, slide it down. Somebody'd close the box, slide it down. Somebody put a mailing label on it, slide it down. Somebody put the postage on it. I mean, we would, we would send out uh, three, two, three, four thousand boxes with cassettes and a New Testament in them on a on a Sunday afternoon and take a truckload of them down to the post office. It was, it was so exciting, man. It's great times. In addition to getting those requests for, for the different tapes, you would also get uh, letters from uh, people that were listening 
uh, all over the world, right? Stacks of them, hundreds of letters a week, hundreds of letters a week. It just if people getting saved, Muslims getting saved, and Catholics getting saved, and Hindus getting saved. It's incredible. Now, now with all that on the internet, you don't know. You don't get the feedback. You don't get the response. So it's lost some of its um, some of its excitement, some of its thrill. Do you have any idea how many different countries that you heard from in the course of that time when when tapes are going all over the place? We any idea? We started mapping and keeping track. Um, as far as we know, of the right at two hundred countries recognized by the United Nations, we have received letters of testimony from 182 of those countries. Amazing. And among those 182 countries would include the West African nation that you never had an opportunity to go as a missionary. Is that brother? Brother, I, let me get choked up here. We wanted to go to Ghana and tell people about Jesus. I have a map of the country of Ghana like uh, you would have a map of the state of Georgia or, or state of Florida. When I would hear from someone in Ghana telling me they had gotten saved listening to me preach on a cassette or a CD or, the, or on a radio program, we would mark that town. Brother, every, every town on that map in that country somebody living in it that God let me win to Christ through preaching his word. And I've never set foot in that country. Praise the Lord. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't possibly have even, I mean, that's not even something that you orchestrated. You, you couldn't have possibly planned something like that. But I, I hope that our listeners are making the connection when you are willing to put yourself out there and sow the seed I mean, it's our, our great God is the Lord of the harvest, and He can do things. He can do things with some of the with that seed that we just can't imagine. But but He's not going to sow it for us. We've got to we've got to do our part. And when it comes to the books, you you've what about the printed materials? How is how is the desire to get those materials into the hands of Christian workers abroad? Um, help to shape your publishing philosophy. Also, I I, I don't think that you got into I don't think that you set, ever set out to get into the book business. You're, you're trying to get uh, material into the hands of those that need it most. So how's that worked with the books? Let, let me back up and, and, and lead into this a little bit. And I, I'm not saying this to be critical of anyone listening who's done it different. I, I am not. My father was the president of the First National Bank in our town Back in the days when when all banks were independent, every every there were no branch banking. You didn't have these big conglomerates, so every bank uh, lived and died on its own. We were in and out of church my entire life growing up, and the reason we would get out of church is my father would loan money to that church or to the pastor, and they wouldn't pay it back. And, and my entire life, I heard my father talk about how corrupt and dishonest and crooked preachers and churches were. And you couldn't argue against his experience. He told me, he said, I never loaned money to a minister or a church that I got it back. When I got saved and started preaching, I wanted to show my father 
that everybody wasn't in it for the money. And so in our church services, we have never taken up an offering. We have never solicited money. We've been on the radio since 1981. We have never asked a listener to send us money. We have sent our books and our cassettes to people who could not pay for them. If they asked for them, we would send them. And the man that discipled me, he told me over and over and over again, the easiest way to know if God wants you to do something is ask God to pay for it. If God pays the bills, it's a green light. If you got to ask other people to pay the bills, that's it. you're doing it. And and we just stuck to that. We went I, and I'm again. I'm kind of off track here. We went to WCCZ Radio in 1981 and told the the Jewish 33rd degree Mason <laughs> who was was running the station that uh, we wanted to to go on the radio. And he's, he's uh, it's so clear like yesterday. He smiled with his, his big Masonic sword hanging around his neck and, and said, as fate would have it, we just had a spot come available this week. Fate. Yes. And so we, we, he, he drew up the contract and he said, a six-month contract is going to cost you X number of dollars. I'll give you the first two weeks for free. And this is what we said. Would you let us wait and sign the contract after the two weeks? And he said, well, why is that? And we said, because if God wants us to do this, two weeks from now, we'll have the money for this six-month contract. And brother, we were on the radio one week, and about half a dozen sweet little old Christian ladies in that church walked up to us and said, God wants you to do this, and we want to be part of it. And in 10 days, we had the money to pay for all six months of those radio programs. Praise the Lord. Since that time, we've been on, I, I honestly, I don't know how many radio stations we've been on. We pay, in most of those stations, we pay a year in advance for the airtime because if God wants us on there, he's already provided for us to do it. So it's just, it's been such a blessing to see the Lord provide. Now, so, so here's, here's the lead. That's why I led into this. We wanted to send books to preachers, missionaries, Bible schools, Christians in third world countries who didn't have any materials and couldn't afford to buy them. And we prayed and asked the Lord to help us do it. And in those years, I, I, I forget what year we printed. The first book we printed was Signs, Wonders, and Miracles. I think that was 93. And then the Sure Foundation book that you mentioned, I think that was 95. Since this, this it's going to boggle your mind because it boggles my mind. We have, at last count, eight. 180,000 books in print, 880,000 books in print. And the all I would say 90% of those books have been given away freely, including the cost of shipping them to the other side of the world. 
and God's provided for all. We've never done any fundraising, and I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing the people that have, but to me, Lord, should we print another book or not? Should I write another book? Should we, should we publish another book? It's so expensive. Here comes the money. And it's just, to me, to me, faith is not jumping off the building and hoping God catches you. To me, it's God saying, well, look right here is a set of stairs you could take. So I like living by faith, um, but, but not, uh, not faith that isn't in accord with, with uh, what God's laid out there and set before me. So anyway, it's been really exciting to, to reach the world in in those ways and through that we've had many families from our church that are now on the mission field or or en route to the mission field because they have seen what God can do and how God can build a church and how God can provide a ministry. And I think that rather than just saying, go be a missionary and, and see if it works, they have they can look and see that the biblical pattern of evangelism and church building has worked in a little small town. And so they're emboldened to take the gospel to some other little small town and try to try to see if the Lord will do there what he's done here. As your material has gone different parts of the world, that has on occasion opened up doors for you to, to visit some places and to, and to preach and to, to meet in person some of those that have been benefited by your written and recorded material. If I recall right, you had told me the story of, of going to South Korea here just a few years ago. I think that was an interesting illustration again of the of the multiplication principle of sowing and reaping. You always reap more than you sow, and you've sent a good deal of material over to South Korea. One of the interesting things, if I recall, that you discovered when you got there was some written material that you didn't know even was written. Is that right? <laughs> well, that's a great story, brother. A, a pastor, very very humble, godly man brilliant man. Uh, Thomas Kim, he's a national uh, uh, there in Seoul, South Korea, invited me to come and preach. They, they Very interesting situation. They're in a, a rented building. No, there's no land anywhere available, Seoul, South Korea. New, think, of, think of an area the size of New York City with six times as many people. That's Seoul, South Korea. So they rent two floors in an office building. They can accommodate 150 people. When they get to 150 and stay there, they send 50 to another part of the city to start another church and replace that 50. They've been doing this for years. They've got dozens of churches in Seoul. They've got uh churches they've planted in Los Angeles and, and many other places around the world for Korean-speaking people. But he took me downstairs, and the, in the lower of the two floors they rent is their printing ministry. And brother, they, every book that I have written and some that they have transcribed from my preaching that we don't have in print in English, they print them 5,000 copies at a time in Korean and distribute them everywhere. So when I, we say 880,000, that's the ones we've printed. 
<laughs> right. We we right. give missionaries and national pastors, we just send them the files for our books and say, print all you want, just don't change them. That's all we ask that you don't you don't change them. So so we don't have any idea. I mean, it's gotta be in the millions. But so so I asked this man, I said, so how did this all come about? He and a, an, a, an associate, they are language professors in a university at Seoul. They teach English and Spanish in addition to their Korean. They're in Vancouver, British Columbia for a convention of language teachers, and they're, they're Presbyterians. They're saved, but you know, not, not biblical Christianity as we're accustomed to. And at that conference, a man said, oh, you're Christians. Let me give you something you'd be interested in because you're a language professor and gave these two men a copy of, of my book called By Definition, which <laughs> is defining the difficult words of the King James Bible. Those two men on the flight back to Seoul read that book and said to each other, if what is in this book is true, the Bible is the word of God, and we can trust everything it says. And brother, from there, those two men started that church, which in result started all those churches, which in result led to all that printing ministry, and they have now translated word for word the King James Bible into the Korean language, all because of one man giving them one book that they read on an airplane going back to Korea. Incredible. That's one example. Now, uh, there's one more thing that goes with that story that's, that's really great. On the way over to Seoul, South Korea, I was working to add about uh, to about double the size of that book by definition. And I was my wife and I were talking on the airplane and I said, "I don't know why I'm doing this. There aren't enough people left who care about studying the Bible to want a book about what the words in the Bible mean. I don't even know why I'm doing this." And when we get to Seoul and this man tells us that story and my wife just looking at me with a smile on her face, like <laughs> I, I don't have to say another word, just get that book done. <laughs> just yeah. just finish the work. So so it's been a real a real exciting uh thing to see what God has has taken and and done with the, the uh the efforts that we put into getting the gospel out for sure. So one of the things that I wanted to try to in the course of this conversation to demonstrate for our listeners is that the the our our ministry in Jerusalem is inextricably connected to our ministry in the uttermost part of the earth. It's again, it's not that you have to choose between one or the other. Uh, I think that if we're if we're zealously engaged locally, it will lend itself to walking through doors to get the gospel to uh, the uttermost part and and everything in between. They're related. So. Shifting gears a little bit, there's there's another outreach that you and your church has been a part of there that's really of interest to me just in 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 terms of uh, an approach to missions and, and different methods employed. And I'm not even suggesting that 
it it could or should be replicated necessarily. But it's fascinating what what the Lord did in this instance. And I'm talking about Project Thessalonica. So the theme of the annual Bible conference hosted there at the Bible Baptist Church back in 2009 was the book of 1 Thessalonians. And among the preachers that week was Brother Brent Logan. At the time, if, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, he was serving as a missionary in Eastern Europe. And he told in the course of that sermon of having visited Thessaloniki and fi- found it devoid of a Bible-believing church or a strong evangelistic witness in that city. And that would touch off something in your heart that you cooperated with Brother Brent on that came to be called Project Thessalonica to reestablish the church of the Lord Jesus Christ locally in that ancient city. Can you tell us how Project Thessalonica was born and how God provided the personnel for that effort and how it was organized? Yes, sir. What what our desire was, was to reestablish a church in that city. The best we could tell, there hadn't been a, a biblical church in, in Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, since about 350, 400 AD, and there's three million people living there. We sent, we drew up this plan. Uh, Brother Brent and his family will go to Thessalonica, find a, a building that we could rent where we could invite people to come for church services, find a large market type place where we could begin evangelizing. But having been told it wasn't legal to do any kind of public ministry evangelism because the Greek Orthodox Church controlled the country, but only one way to find out, and that's that's to go and give it a try. Um, we had been told by many, many missionaries that we contacted, Greece is dead, forget about it, you can't start a work in Greece, nothing's going to come of it. So it's all discouragement. Anyway, we went forward. We need 24 groups of Christians that would go to Thessalonica for two weeks and evangelize. Rather than one man trying to do everything while cooking meals and doing laundry and getting the car repaired and everything else, how how limited would that man be in what he could do in a year to start from zero and try and get a church started? Well, praise the Lord, it didn't take long to fill all of those spots. So you think about this, starting in May, there are there is a group of Christians in Thessalonica in what turned out to be a town square one block wide and three blocks long full of thousands of people. And we stood in the midst of that uh, marketplace and began to sing hymns, distribute gospel tracts, preach the gospel, and the people stopped and listened. They took tracks. They asked questions. It was incredible. Now, you give it all you got for two weeks. You weep, you cry, you get on a plane, you go home. But as you're leaving, here's another group coming, and they're all fired up, and they're excited, and they're rested, and they're not tired, and they're going to go at it for two weeks. And this went on for a year. Brother, during the course of that year, uh, well, at the start of that year, when we put the word out about Project Thessalonica, a Christian brother in Australia, who is a Greek national, said, I will go and be the translator. I will go and be the interpreter. And, and he, he, he took a year's leave from work and went to Thessalonica 
and was a tremendous, bold witness for Jesus Christ, uh, bridging the gap between the language barrier. Then, as that year drew near to a close, another missionary, Brother Charlie Barkowski, who had tried and tried and tried for years to get into the country of his choice and couldn't get in, purposed in his heart, well, let me go in and try to at least hold this work here in Thessalonica together. And brother, God just put it in his heart. He fell in love with the place, and he has now been the pastor of the Bible Baptist Church of Thessalonica or Thessaloniki for several years baptisms, conversions, hymn singing, public ministry. It's, there, is, there is a Bible-believing church in that city that was established in one year by, by teams going. Brother, you've been on mission trips. You've taken people on mission trips. At the end of two weeks, people are burned out. They're not used to going at that pace. Well, what if another team came in right behind them and, and spent all that energy and another team right behind them and spent all that energy? I'm telling you, if we could, if we could replicate that as our missionaries go to different places, what a, what a jump start! what a boost for getting a, a work going. And so it yeah. was really, really exciting. You, you mentioned that it was that you were told that it, it that you can't do public ministry on the streets of Thessaloniki. It's not possible in Greece. And then what you went and just gave it a shot? Did you did did just, was there we, a clash with the authorities? There there were several classes clashes with the Greek Orthodox priests. At one point, I think this was the second or third team that went in, um, the priests ordered the police to stop the public ministry. Brother Brent and I, I, I believe Brother Angelo, I'm not, I'm not sure how many men, said, no, we're not going to stop. They arrested them and took them to the police station, and an unsaved lawyer stepped forward and said, this is not right, and, and got it all cleared legally, and there was never, never uh, an arrest like that again. So, and I, I, brother Brent would know all the details of that much better than I would, um, having, <laughs> having, having lived it where I, I only heard about it, but, um, it was tremendous. The, the only, the only real conflicts we had with the people preaching in that square is we had translated into Greek I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for his power of God and salvation, everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When those people read that verse and saw that it said the Jew first and then the Greek second, many of them were incensed. How dare you? How dare you say a Jew comes first before a Greek? Oh, they didn't like that. Well, the amazing thing is that they're that that we're talking about Greek Orthodox people that that probably would take credit for the ori- for the origin of the Bible. I mean, well, they uh, didn't know that was a Bible verse. That, that's the shock. That's the scandal of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when when they were shown it was from the scripture, they they didn't like it, but they they settled down a little bit. So <laughs> we support Charlie Burkowski, and it's it's been wonderful to watch how that how the Lord has provided at every stage 
of that effort, not only with the teams to go over there for the course of that year, not only for Brother Angelo to be boots on the ground interpreting, which is a huge component of that ministry, but then for the Lord to provide the Burkowskis to go over and continue to nurture that work. Just tremendous. Well, let, let's let's tie that back to where we started. So that church gets started in Thessalonica. Brother Charlie surrenders to stay there and pastor that church. And you can't go into Iran. You can't go into Persia. You can't go into uh, Syria. You can't go into Iraq. So this war gets going, and these refugees flee those countries by the thousands, end up in Thessalonica, and Charlie Barkowski is leading, he's leading these people to Christ who have been driven to Thessalonica from countries where a missionary can't go. So again, if you just try to reach people for the Lord, the Lord is going to get the people that are seeking him. How's that Ethiopian man going to hear the gospel? Well, the Lord will work that out. How's, how's an evangelist going to end up at Cornelius' house? The Lord's going to work that out. How's, how's this, this woman who's having this prayer meeting down by the river at Philippi, how's she going to hear the gospel? The Lord's going to work that out. So you just go and go and go and go, and, and, uh, and God will put the person seeking him together with the person that's out trying to tell people. I was knocking on doors one night in a housing project. That's what they used to call them. Uh, now they call them affordable housing seems to me all housing is affordable to somebody. But anyway, so so I'm out knocking on a door and I knocked on this door and nobody came to the door and I, I knocked again. Nobody came to the door and I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these God spoke to my heart kind of people, but I was very much impressed to stay at that doorstep. And I, I waited a little while. And the third time I knocked and this man finally came to the door, he said, what do you want? And I told him, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that wants to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and and have, have their life changed forever. The man invited me to come in. He sat down on the couch. I sat down on a chair. I gave that man the gospel, explained to him how Jesus Christ would change his life. He reached under the cushion of that sofa and pulled out what looked like a giant pistol. <laughs> it wasn't, but it looked really big. And he said, he said, Mr., when you knocked on my door, I was in the bedroom in the back with this gun in my mouth. And I said, God, if there's any hope, I need it right now. And you knocked on my door. I led that guy to the Lord. He sent me to, to the jail, and I led his son to the Lord in the, in the, in the jailhouse. Now, that, that's only happened once. <laughs> sure. But I'm glad it happened. Amen. And so is that guy and his son. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's why we go out there. You don't expect every seed to come up, and you don't expect every seed that comes up to bear fruit. But but honestly, brother, and, and those of you that are listening, we're not supposed to go to church because we have to and then leave church and go out in the world to have fun. The Christian life is fun. The Christian life is enjoyable. If you think it's a drag, it's because you're not living it. 
If you think it's boring, it's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This life can be as thrilling and as exciting and as full of adventure as you're willing to make it. Amen. (laughs) We're just, just too much sitting around waiting to hear the pastor report on what he did. Well, who wants to do that? (laughs) I want to get out there and do something myself. I want to be part of this thing. And you can, everybody can. I challenge the church. I'll give you an example. I challenge the church in, um, in Louisiana, preaching there, preached several nights on, on witnessing and evangelism. And they decided they were going to make bundles of five tracts in a paper clip and put them in the offering plate. And when the offering plates went around, they asked everybody that would to take those five tracts and give them out some way, somehow that week. That preacher said within two weeks, we went to 10, then we went to 20, then we were ordering tracks by the box full because people found out this is easy. I can do it. People don't stab me when, when I, it's safe. And brother, that church just got excited about evangelizing and telling people about the Lord. So it's easy to get started I remember the first time I took a, a, a one church group out to do a public ministry, so I couldn't preach on the street. We could stand our whole plastic sign. People do it for a car wash. They do it for a, a you know, a, a mattress sale. You stand there and hold a sign. I looked over and this pastor, he's got a sign with a Bible verse on it, and he cut two eye holes in it, and he's holding it up in front of his face because <laughs> he, he, he wasn't sure he wanted anybody to see him out there doing it, but he, he wanted to get out there and do it. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. Well, brother, one of the things that I'm interested in, in in talking through for this podcast with a lot of different, uh, with pastors and missionaries and, and different personalities that are engaged in the Great Commission is I do, you know, I am interested to talk methods. I am interested to talk strategy. If there's a way to do things more effectively, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm all ears. I, I you know, I want to be engaged and I want to be engaged biblically and I want to be engaged thoughtfully and I want to be as effective as possible. I do not want to trivialize any of our efforts by overanalyzing them, by overquantifying the results. The goal is is obviously to be faithful and obedient to our Lord's command. With with that said, I wanted to put one more question to you. I, I have no idea what to what to anticipate in terms of your answer to this question, but I did want to put this to you because I know you're an exceedingly practical thinker that you were raised in that way. You're from a generation that thinks in those terms. You've been a part of a very wide variety of outreach, and the Lord has poured, obviously, a good deal of funds through you and through your church to get the gospel around the world from printed material to billboards up and down the interstate in central Florida to um, to Project Thessalonica and all of these different kinds of outreaches. In your estimation, what do you feel like is the most efficient and evangelistically profitable investment of a church's outreach dollars? All right, so here, here's what I've got to say to that. The, the effective evangelistic outreach for a local church is for everyone 
to do something. Everyone is not supposed to do the same thing to evangelize, but everyone is supposed to evangelize. So we have people who door knock, who don't street preach. We have people who street preach, who preach and don't stand there and hold a sign. We have people who go to these public events who don't go to the nursing homes. We have people who go to the nursing homes who don't go to the jails. We have So everyone needs to do something to be evangelizing. Tracks cost money. Radio time costs money. Um, trips to preach at events cost money. Mission trips cost money. Supporting missionaries cost money. I, I don't think I've ever broken it down and said we have X number of people from the radio and X number of people from um, printed mailers. Let's don't do mailers. Let's do radio because it's more cost effective. Oh, sure. Um, sure. I, I, I couldn't point to one thing above another that has been the most effective as far as building our church. I will, I will tell you this, we've got utility bills like everybody does. We've got um, vehicle expenses like everybody does. We've got staff expenses like everybody does. On average, since we began, 60 of every $100 that's given to our church is spent, on, spent directly on getting the gospel out. Amen. Now, you know, we wouldn't argue dollars versus dollars. There's bigger churches, smaller churches, but 60% of our budget is evangelism, spreading the gospel. And, and because of that, the building we're in now, we bought for cash. The building, Lord willing, that we move into when we uh, have, having outgrown this one, we're going to build it for cash. God has always replaced every dollar we have spent on getting the gospel out. I want to go back. I want to tell you a story because you, you brought this up. So it's, it's on you. <laughs> we, we rented for nine and a half years because we didn't have the money to build a building. And we were trying to save money to build a building, but we weren't getting anywhere. Cause we're, and, and people would come and say, brother, we got to quit sending all these tapes. We got to quit sending all these Bibles. Maybe we got to, you know, not give so much to missions till we get a building built or buy a building. And I, I just, I just, I didn't believe that was the way God wanted us to go. So nine and a half years after of renting, the church where the church building we're in now folded. The church folded. They had they got down. They went from three hundred and some down to less than ten. And the the pastor called and said, called one of our deacons that he knew, said, "I, I got my church building up for sale. I know you guys need a church building. Would you be interested in buying it?" So he called me. I said, "Tell the man. Tell the man. We've we've got." $210,000 in a bank. That's 1996. We'd saved in 10 years, we'd saved 210000 toward a building. So the deacon called this guy back and he laughed in the man's face. He said, call me back when you're serious. Oh my. This, this thing is listed for $880,000. 
There's no way. I'm selling you an $830,000 building for $210,000. Forget it. We're heartbroken. We spent that week in prayer, fasting, calling on God, uh, putting our financial statements in front of the Lord, saying, look, God, look. I mean, we. a week later, that man called us back and said, I'll take it. <laughs> now, wait, wait. It gets better. So I asked our treasurer, I said, I want you to add up all the money we have spent getting the gospel out in these nine and a half years. I want, I want to know how much money we have spent. Brother Lee, you people listening, when you added the $210,000 to the money we had spent getting the gospel out, it came a thousand dollars short of the eight eighty this building was selling for. <laughs> Praise God, <laughs> God credited our account with the money we had spent getting the gospel out and let us spend that money to buy this building. The treasurer came and he showed me these numbers. He said, We're in trouble. I said, Why? He said, We cheated God out of a thousand dollars. He said, We, we should have spent a thousand dollars somewhere we didn't spend. Now, now, brother, isn't that incredible? Oh, absolutely. The Lord can do it, though. That's that's what yes, you sir. get into when you live yes, by sir. faith and operate in obedience to the word of God. Buy the tracks, buy the Bibles, print the books send out the missionaries, give it away, and just trust God and let him provide. That's it. That's it. Yes, sir. And, and he'll do it. Well, Brother James, watching in the, in the short time that I've been acquainted with you and with the, the Bible Baptist Church there in Deland, watching, watching the folks there uh, live by faith and obey the Lord's command to preach the gospel to every creature, it has sure been a help to me personally, and I know it's been a help to a lot of other Christians and a lot of other uh, church leaders in local churches. So thank you, brother, for what you're doing. And thank you for sitting down for the conversation. Appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you what, what you've encouraged me to be a part of. Amen. God bless you for that. Enjoyed it much. Hey, everybody listening, be the peer pressure. Don't, don't, let, the, don't let the town determine what kind of church you're going to be. Make the town deal with the kind of church God wants you to be. Amen. And, and o over time, over time, they won't agree with you, but they'll respect you and you'll find your place in that town and God will honor it. I certainly hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Pastor James Knox. The various personal stories of the ways in which the Lord has blessed their church's efforts to get the gospel out should be an encouragement to us and a reminder that our Savior's marching orders have not changed since the New Testament was penned almost 2,000 years ago. We don't need church growth gimmicks or secular marketing methods to see the Lord work. If, by faith, we will do what we can where the Lord has planted us, we can expect Him to come alongside us in this labor and bring the increase in evangelizing sinners and providing for the continuance of His work. Thanks again for tuning into the program. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in as well. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.